0: This is a Charles Russell Speech Lease podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to Property Patter. My name is Emma Humphreys, and our topic today is consent applications. Where a tenant wants to assign its lease, sublet its premises, or undertake alterations, it will need to consult its lease to check on the relevant restrictions and requirements. Applications for consent are fraught with difficulties, though. For both landlords and tenants, not least because of the legislation, there's also a wealth of case law to help us navigate through the various areas of law which apply. I'm joined today by Joseph Green and Laura Bushaway of our real estate disputes team. So, Joe, first of all, let's look at applications for consent to transfer or sublet a property. How should a landlord or its surveyor approach dealing with that type of application?
2: Thanks, Emma. The starting point is to check the terms of the lease. The lease might be silent, contain an absolute covenant, i.e. where the proposed transaction is expressly prohibited, or include a qualified covenant, i.e. where a landlord's consent is required to the transaction. If the lease is silent on assigning or subletting a property, which is rare, then the tenant can do so freely and will not need to make an application. If the lease contains an absolute covenant, then the landlord does not have to grant consent at all. If the lease contains a clause prohibiting assignment or subletting without the landlord's consent, then section 19.1a of the Landlord and Tenants Act 1927 implies into that covenant a restriction that such consent is not to be unreasonably withheld. The lease may itself contain a similar express clause. This legislation is also expressly states that the landlord is not prevented from acquiring payment of its reasonable legal or other costs incurred in connection with the grant of consent.
1: And it's possible for the lease to say when a landlord will be reasonable in refusing consent or imposing certain conditions, isn't it?
2: Yes, for commercial leases granted after 1996, section 19.1, capital A, contains a mechanism. For the landlord and tenant to set out in the lease pre-agreed circumstances in which consent to an assignment can be withheld and or pre-agreed conditions subject to which consent may be given if the specified circumstances set out in the lease exist then the landlord's withholding of consent or particular conditions will be regarded reasonable therefore it's important that you check the terms of the lease carefully To ensure any conditions that may safeguard the landlord's interests are included as a condition of granting consent. For example, some commercial leases will require the outgoing tenant to guarantee incoming tenants will comply with the terms of the lease or enter into a rent deposit deed, which may be especially important in turbulent times such as we find ourselves in now.
1: Laura, are there any time constraints within which a landlord has to consider an application for consent?
0: Uh, Yes, Emma. For alienation covenants, uh, there are, and those are covenants to, uh, amongst other things, transfer or sublet the property. It's necessary to be aware of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1988, and that applies to both leases of commercial premises and residential premises, where the tenant has made an application for consent to assign, sublet, charge or part with possession of the premises, and there is a qualified covenant that the landlord's consent must not be unreasonably withheld. So section 13 of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1988 requires the landlord to give consent within a reasonable time unless it is reasonable to refuse consent. Now what a reasonable time period is um will depend on the circumstances. There is no prescribed timetable set out in the Landlord and Tenant Act 1988, but I think the important point that comes out of the cases, some of which I'll mention uh, now, is to deal with the application promptly. Just to give you a flavour of how the courts have approached this, in the case of Go West and Spigarolo from 2003, the Court of Appeal held that a reasonable time will sometimes have to be measured in weeks rather than days. But even in complicated cases, it should be measured in weeks rather than months. Then in um, Blockbuster Entertainment and Barnsdale Properties, um, again from 2003, the court held that the landlord's consent should have been given within a week from receiving the information the landlord had requested. Then in NCR Limited and Riverland Portfolio from 2005, The Court of Appeal held that three weeks was not unreasonable for a landlord's decision on a consent application, particularly during the August holiday period. So I think we're sort of very much, um, the timescales are very much in terms of weeks, um, really, for a straightforward matter.
1: And is there a particular form required for the landlord's response?
0: Yes, the landlord does need to serve a formal response, um, so a formal notice of its response to the tenant's application. Um, If consent is granted, the landlord must specify if any conditions are attached to the grant of consent. And once the landlord has served its letter setting out the uh, refusal of consent, the landlord cannot change the reasons that are set out in that letter. He can only rely on the reasons that he's stated in that letter and therefore it is important for landlords to make sure that any reason they want to rely on is included within that letter um, of refusal. Um, What the landlord can't do is to uh, rely on evidence or reasons that came to its attention after the letter of refusal of consent has been served.
1: Now, there are of course certain situations where a landlord uh, can't unreasonably withhold its consent. get asked about these situations a lot. Um, what's the basis for assessing whether or not it's reasonable for a landlord to refuse consent? Joe, perhaps you give us a, an overview of that.
2: Yes, of course. The courts have developed a set of considerations for a landlord in deciding whether or not to grant or refuse cons- consent, which were formulated in International Drilling Fluids Limited versus Louiseville Investments Uxbridge Limited, 1986, and modified in Iqbal and others in Thakrā, 2004. There are nine considerations in total, so I won't try and set them all out now. But in summary, whether a landlord has acted reasonably in refusing consent will turn upon its own facts, taking into account the particular circumstances, the landlord's actual reasons for refusal, and the term to the relevant lease. The landlord will need to demonstrate that it has made its decision in order to legitimately protect its property interests. The vote is for the tenant to show that the landlord has unreasonably withheld its consent to the application made by the tenant. It follows that if the landlord grants consent subject to conditions, the conditions must be reasonable and similar considerations apply to them.
1: And can you give an example of how those principles might be applied?
2: Yes, certainly. Uh, For example, it is likely to be found unreasonable if the landlord refuses to grant consent simply because it has previously fallen out with the tenant, or if it wants to try to secure some kind of collateral advantage, such as trying to agree a rent review before it deals with the tenant's application. However, if a landlord refused to grant consent to assign a property to a new tenant where the lease contained no pre-agreed conditions, because it legitimately had concerns over the strength of the incoming tenant's covenant, and the landlord's refusal is likely to be found reasonable, provided that the landlord's concerns could be justified.
1: Yeah, and that's always a really thorny question in my experience, because there's a big difference between whether somebody, you know, a proposed assignee, whether they have a weak covenant strength or whether it's just weaker than the existing tenant. Um, and. You know, that's you know that's where obviously any advance conditions will come in handy because saying well you're not as good as my existing tenant you know without that kind of specified advanced condition that's not the test you know it is a case of can that person can that proposed assignee you know pay the rent and perform the lease covenants and just because they're not necessarily as good as your existing tenants that uh, you know that that's not enough so yeah it's an it's an interesting one isn't it. And what happens and this you know tends to happen in landlords res- responses to applications. What happens if the landlord has refused consent for several reasons, and one of those reasons is unreasonable? If you've got just one bad reason, does that mean the whole refusal of consent is unreasonable?
0: I think the short answer is no, not necessarily. Um, there was a case uh, that dealt with just this point in two thousand and eighteen. Um, that was a decision in number one West India Quay and East Tower Apartments, where the landlord refused an application for consent to a sign made by a long leaseholder of two residential flats. Now, the landlord refused consent on three grounds. Two of those grounds were found to be reasonable and the third reason was found to be unreasonable. So the grounds that the landlord relied on were that there had been a failure to provide an undertaking for the landlord's costs. There had been a failure to provide an undertaking um, for the surveyor's fee to carry out an inspection of the flats to confirm that there were no breaches of the And then there had also been a failure to provide specific infla- information in relation to the proposed assignees. And the landlord said that this information had been needed because the landlord had served consultation notice for major works where those works were estimated to cost over a million pounds. Now, in this decision, the Court of Appeal um, found that the reasons were freestanding. And so they held that two of them were reasonable, which was the uh, failure to provide an undertaking for the surveyor's fee and the failure to provide information about the assignee and therefore the decision to refuse consent was reasonable in the court's view. Um, It didn't matter that the landlord had specified one reason uh, that was effectively found to be a bad reason um, for refusing consent. And I think it's just worth noting that even though this case um, concerns a residential flat, um, it's thought that it would equally apply to the grant of consent in respect of commercial premises as well.
1: So that's alienation, but... Of course, another common form of application for consent is permission to carry out alterations to a property. Um, what sort of constraints uh, apply here? I mean, it, you know, that will be for landlords and tenants. But, Joe, what sort of constraints are we talking about here?
2: Again, the starting point is to check the terms of the lease and confirm the relevant provisions to which the application for consent relates. Is the lease silent? Does it contain a qualified or absolute covenant? Where a lease contains a qualified covenant in relation to alterations, Section 19.2 of the Landlord and Tenant Act 19.27 applies if the pro- proposed alteration would amount to an improvement. This applies to both long residential leases and commercial leases of any length. There is no definition in the Landlord and Tenant Act 19.27 of what will constitute an improvement, but an alteration will fall within Section 19.2 if the works are an improvement to my premises, from the point of view of the tenant. The tenant is unlikely to be making the application if it does not consider it to be an improvement, so it would be rare for a court to determine otherwise. Section 19.2 implies into the alterations covenant a requirement that the landlord's consent must not be unreasonably withheld. Where section 19.2 applies, the landlord may require payment of legal costs reasonably incurred in connection with the grant of
0: consent. And I'll just add there, actually, um, Joe, that I think um, even if Section 19.2 isn't relevant um, because the tenant isn't maybe carrying out the works of improvement, um, there might be still an express clause in the lease uh, which might permit the landlord to recover its legal costs incurred in connection with the grant of consent under the lease. So it is always worth, um, as you said, um, checking the terms of the lease. That's very important.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a real starting point, isn't it? So in talking about the importance of checking the lease, um, Laura, you and I have spoken before, I think it was at the very start of the year when <laughs> the world was very different. Um, and we covered it again in our August episode of Property Patter. Um, the case of Dubow, um, the Supreme Court decision, which we now have, which has, of course, been making real waves in the property world this year. Uh, what impact does the Duval decision have on a landlord's ability to grow consent?
0: I mean yes this this is a very important decision um, for landlords and property managers to be aware of. It's probably most commonly going to apply in um, a residential uh, premises or a mixed-use premises um, where the lease contains a mutual enforceability clause. Um, now that is a promise by the landlord to enforce the tenant covenants At the request of another tenant in the property, usually upon payment of the landlord's costs of enforcement action. In Deval, the Supreme Court implied a term into the lease that the landlord would not put it out of its power to enforce the covenants in the leases against another leaseholder by licensing works which were absolutely prohibited in the lease. If a landlord grants consent to works which are the subject of an absolute bar, a landlord will place itself in breach of the mutual enforceability covenant in the lease, which might give rise to a claim um, for damages against them.
1: Yeah, and landlords are having real headaches about this decision, aren't they? I mean, uh, but, but you know, Duval does only apply where there's an absolute covenant, a complete prohibition against the particular activity, I think. Is that is that right?
0: Predominantly, yes. Um, Duval applies where there is an absolute covenant and a mutual enforceability covenant in the lease. Um, but it could apply um, where a landlord is considering granting retrospective consent um, where there's a qualified covenant Um that is the sort of one limited exception and um, if it's a qualified covenant then usually uh, Davao wouldn't apply. It's probably just worth pointing out as well though that it applies to covenants restricting alterations. Um, and that was what the case was about. Um, but it also can apply to absolute any absolute covenant um, to do or not to do something in the lease. Um, so that's something I think that landlords and property managers need to be aware of um, because the breach of the mutual enforceability clause Occurs upon the grant of the consent to do something which is absolutely prohibited. Um, And that is the case, whether or not the tenant ultimately brings a claim for damages against landlord. So um, that is quite sort of a tricky proposition for landlords. And I think that the way forward will very much depend, as is often the case, on the facts and circumstances of each case, combined probably with the amount of risk that a landlord is prepared to adopt. And I think that where dival issues do arise, that landlords and property managers, you know, they might want to seek advice on the ways in which that risk can be minimised from uh, legal advisors if the landlord wishes to grant consent.
1: Yes, I mean, as you say, I think it's one of these areas, isn't it, where I think plotting a careful route <laughs> of how you're going to deal with these things is very important. And as you say, that's for all absolute covenants, not just alterations, but I know alterations is the thing that tends to really kick off if a a landlord has granted consent to something that is absolutely prohibited. Wooden floors in particular seem to cross my desk a lot. And are there, well, yeah, we know there are lots of traps which our listeners need to be aware of when dealing with an application for consent. But I, I thought it might be quite handy, perhaps, if each of you gives me your top trap uh for uh when you're coming to dealing with an application for consent and um, of course most importantly how are they going to avoid it
2: thanks emma Uh, i think my top trap would be uh, responding quickly um to the application and checking it properly Uh, depending on the nature of the application you may be required to respond to it within days or weeks rather than months so it's important you consider any application promptly upon receiving it When you receive an application for consent, you should ensure that it is addressed to the correct party and sent to the correct address. Otherwise, time may not start to run for the purpose of responding to the application. Similarly, If you're making an application, you should ensure it's sent to the correct party and at the correct address. Uh, You should also check that an application for consent contains all of the information required by the landlord or surveyor or property manager to consider the application. If any information which is required to consider the application is missing, the landlord should request it from the tenant as soon as possible, usually within days rather than weeks or months. You should also try to avoid requesting information on a piecemeal basis if possible.
1: That's a really, I mean, that's a, a really key thing. I think, um, you know, those those basic details like, you know, who's it going to and, um, you know, what what information are you providing information have you received you know, it's, a, it's a landlord and tenant you know both parties are interested in should be interested in, in that side of things um you know it's, it's amazing how many times uh I, I receive an application and it's not been correctly addressed or, or the other the other thing that really abates me is how often i'll get something telling me that it's an application for consent to sublet and here are the assignees details and <laughs> If you would step one, I'm like, well, what is this? <laughs> uh, and very rarely does it accompany the information you need to make a decision. <laughs> OK, so, Laura, what about your top trap?
0: So I think mine is um, avoiding the inadvertent grant of consent, which I think is another one that we uh, see fairly often. Um, I think it's so easy to accidentally respond um, to an application in a way which can amount to the grant of consent. So I think um, it's really important to seek legal advice um, if you are unsure how to respond to avoid accidentally granting consent. Um, And I think for surveyors um, and property managers, it's sensible to make clear in any correspondence with the tenant that you do not have authority to give permission on behalf of the landlord and consent will only be granted upon completion of a licence. Also, all discussions concerning the terms of a licence would usually be without prejudice. And I know that those are labels which you've covered in another um, episode of the Property uh, Patter podcast, and because they're also very contentious. Um, However, uh, those terms don't protect the landlord um, if the letter effectively amounts to the grant of consent. So I think it very much does depend on the wording of any correspondence with the tenant.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a very helpful reminder. Again, Yeah, basic stuff, isn't it, Laura? But it's, you know, it's so important. So um, easy to do. Yeah, so exactly. So easy to do. Thanks very much to you both for helping to explain a tricky area of landlord and tenant law. I know we always get a lot of queries about how to deal with these types of application. Uh, so I'm sure your helpful and practical reminders are going to be useful to our listeners. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today and we hope you're all keeping well. Just a reminder that you will find guidance notes about the principles which apply in this and other areas of property law on our Surveyor's Refresher site. Please contact any of us if you would like access to that area of our website. Thank you.
0: This is a Charles Russell Speechlees podcast.